Hello, this is Robert Barge. Welcome to Redemption's Table, where every week we will gather around this table with a special guest to explore the most appetizing ingredient in this menu called life, redemption. I believe in redemption. I believe everybody hungers for redemption, everybody. And the truth is, redemption is all around us every day. It is a recipe that God the Creator sets before us every single moment of our lives. Unfortunately, so much emphasis is placed upon the bad, many have difficulty seeing, experiencing, and tasting the good. So I'm setting out on a journey, going table to conversation, to accentuate the reality of redemption in the lives of everyday people like you and me. A reality that, I believe, finds its ultimate expression in Jesus of Nazareth, who is the not-so-secret ingredient to the redemption we all seek. So, come hungry, join the meal, because Party of Redemption, your table is now ready. Hey everybody, I am so glad you're tuned in, so glad you've come to the table today. Last Monday was Memorial Day, and every year at this time, between Memorial Day and D-Day, the 6th of June, I get reflective. I think of those who laid down their lives on the field of battle somewhere for our freedom. And I also think of those like the men of D-Day who stormed the beaches of Normandy off the coast of France, who lived to tell about it, or in some cases lived to never speak of it again. These individuals, these men and women, are the true heroes of our nation. Let us not forget. So I was a little more than ecstatic to sit down recently with two friends of mine, Tom and Betty Chestnut, at their dining room table in their home in Hope Hall, Alabama, to share in this conversation. He is 97. She is a young 93. They've been married for 73 years. He is a World War II veteran who saw combat and she became a published author with her first book at age 85. And just to let you know, we had a few interruptions, a few phone calls, one ring of the doorbell. Life is busy when you're pushing 100. I mean, how many 90-year-olds do you know who are rocking a podcast? So thank you for joining in today, and we're going to get started. Here we go. Welcome to Redemption's Table. I am blessed to sit here today with my good friends Tom and Betty Chestnut. Welcome to Redemption's Table. I am blessed to worship with both of you almost every Sunday morning. And both of y'all are nonagenarians. First time I've ever used that word. How old are you, Mr. Tom? 97. 97. And how old are you, Betty? 93. And we've been married 73 years. Wow. So that is 190 years combined <laughs> age of wisdom and life, and you've been married 73 years. Yep. Well, we're here today. At and I'm going to keep him. You're going to keep him. I'm going to keep him. When did you make that decision? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I guess May 3rd on our anniversary. <laughs> you know, and, and what about you? Now, how, how would you weigh in with that? Uh, well, I uh, knew I wanted her to be my companion through life and when I met her, but I, I had to convince her of the facts. <laughs> she didn't uh, agree with me at the beginning. 
how long did it take you to convince her? We're going to get to that part of the story in a moment, but how long did it take you to convince her? About six months. Okay. That's not too bad. From from when we met to when we married was nine months. Okay. That's, wow. <laughs> you work quick, Tom. <laughs> yes, he does. Believe me, he does. <laughs> well, several months ago at our church, we were asking people to share their story. And I remember when we asked people to share their story, Betty, if I if I remember correctly, you were the first one to share your story of anybody in the entire church. And then next, immediately thereafter, uh, Tom, you shared your story. <clears throat> I've heard you share this part of your story many, many times. You're a World War II veteran. Yep. And um, tell the story, because I think it's a fascinating account, those early days when you were first brought into the service, uh, your ship, your, your, the, the sh the, tell the story that's connected to the number 13. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Well, the number of Fletcher, I, uh, I was only the destroyer the Fletcher. The number was 445 and 13. On Friday the 13th, in 1942, we went in to, the, uh, to intercept the Jap Tokyo Express of about 20 ships, and we were the 13th ship in column, and we had 313 men aboard, 13 officers, and uh, ship got uh, hit uh, that night was six hit and six uh, was sunk by the Japanese and we uh, escaped without a scratch. So out of 13 ships you had six hit the other six were sunk, but your your ship was the only one to come through without a scratch. Wow. Now, what year did you enlist, or did you enlist, or were you drafted? No, I enlisted in, uh, right after Pearl Harbor. Okay. When uh, I went in, volunteered. I wanted uh, to kick the Japs out of the Pacific, and I didn't go through one training, a day of training, and we were, I signed up in Montgomery, and eight weeks I was in combat. Wow. So yeah, so no training. You you were deployed there with those thirteen ships. Eight weeks later, you find yourself in combat. Yeah. Well, we uh, served on the island with uh, South Pacific Island with the Marines and the Army to wait on a ship. And the first ship I was assigned to was the Juno, and it was sunk. And so we 
or the deflection needed 30 men, so they put 30 of us aboard the Fletcher, and we went into uh, uh, combat. I was on the Portland heavy cruiser to the South Pacific when we went through the first air raid. Okay. So were you on the, the Fletcher, was the, was your ship named the Fletcher, or were you on a class Fletcher destroyer? I was on the first uh, the class Fletcher, and it was named the Fletcher. Okay. So you, you, the prototype, so to speak. Y'all were the very first one. Yeah. Okay. Now, that was in 1942 when yeah. you, when you uh, enlisted. Where was your faith at this time? Uh, did you have faith at this particular time? I, I believed in God that created the earth, and I tried to do live for him, do good, and be good, and not. And I had a teacher in the third grade that said, if you want to be healthy, don't drink and don't smoke and brush your teeth twice a day. <laughs> and that instilled in me, and I wanted to to live the right life. I was going to work my way to heaven. Okay. Now, many people take that to that that list of three things not to do, and, and they get two out of three. <laughs> so, uh, okay. All right. So that was in 1942. You you served from uh, the first part of 42 all the way till the end of the war. Yeah. When, when did you two meet? When when did you? When, well, I signed. I signed up in the aviation, and. Uh, in Sydney, Australia, in March of 43, they said I could still pass. They sent me to the flight board in there, and they said, we'll get you out in two or three months. But uh, it was two years later, in uh, March of 45, we were in the Philippines, and uh, we got hit between Corregidor and, and Bataan, and uh, the shore battery hit us and killed about eight or ten men. Hmm. And uh, they, a month later, my orders arrived to report to pre-flight. I was sent to St. Olaf College in Minnesota, Fairplay, Minnesota, and I got 10 days, uh, two weeks from Frisco to Alabama to report to pre-flight. And in the pre-flight, the yeah. Navy kept you busy from 6 o'clock in the morning till 8.30 at, uh, 9.30 at night. And uh, I had an hour of free time 
and 15 minutes on Wednesday to <laughs> okay. free time. And I met Betty six weeks before we left the, the college and we were headed to Pensacola to flight school and the war ended and so I could get out and I got out and the third day of December and she got three weeks off and she was in uh, nurses training at Mayo's Clinic in Mar Rochester, Minnesota and she got three weeks off and she agreed to fly to Alabama a week and I flew back a week for her <clears throat> and she quit nurses training. She, she uh, agreed to, to marry me and uh, one when she flew down here in the week in December and I saw her a week in uh, February. She, she and her mother came down to Ocala, Florida to see her grandmother and who lived there. And I went a week with them and the next time I saw her was three days before we got married on May the, the 3rd. Wow. In Waterloo. In Waterloo? Waterloo, Iowa. Waterloo, okay, Waterloo, Iowa. Iowa. Okay. Yeah. That didn't turn out well for Napoleon, but obviously did much better for you. <laughs> so. Yeah. Okay, so you you had that hour a day off and 15 minutes on, on Wednesday. Wednesday. So when did you see her? Uh, how did you meet her? You know, what did you first think when you laid eyes on Betty? Well, we were playing tennis. A roommate and I were playing tennis on one course, and she and our roommate were playing on the next court uh, at the college, and we asked them to play with us, and she agreed. But she wouldn't date a sailor, anybody in the Navy, because... They were either married or wolves. Married, okay. So I married a wolf. You married a wolf, okay. What did you think of him? I mean, he invited you to play tennis. Uh, well, I, I figured tennis was safe. But there's, <laughs> but there's love in tennis. Yeah. You have to be careful. But then uh, when I got went back to the dorm, I had a friend that had dated him, mm -hmm. and she was telling him what a nice guy he was. He was not a wolf. <laughs> well, no, I didn't say that. Oh, okay. He was a nice guy. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, but then, the only thing he ever asked me mm -hmm. to do was to play tennis at first. Okay. I guess he thought that was safe. I would do that. And uh, So you courted her. In well, a she, way. <laughs> she was known to not date sailors with anybody in the Navy. Okay. And But I, 
I should have been warning how Dad owned uh, Waterloo Dredging in Waterloo, Iowa, and he uh, she told him she wanted to work the year after she finished high school, and he said he'd put her in the office, but she said, I want to drive a dump truck, and uh, so she uh, drove a dump truck all that year uh, in the summer, but then the next year, when the summer came, she told her dad she wanted, she ought to have, wanted a job back, but ought to have more money for uh, increase in pay. And he said, we got the same dump truck and the same sand and the same gravel, and they won't know you got a, a college or a degree. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so y'all got married in May of 46. Mm -hmm. Okay. I've heard you share your testimony, Tom, of how Betty was influential in helping you come to understand uh, you had a need in your life that only Jesus Christ could meet. Um, how, share a little bit about that. Share a little bit about uh, well, she, your faith. She asked me to go to church one Sunday. The Navy allowed you to go to church in uh, any one church you wanted to go, and she agreed to go with me one Sunday. And uh, oh, I you agreed to go with me. <laughs> and I told her how good I was, and she said, that won't get you to heaven. She said, you've got to go through Christ. And I said, but let me tell you how good I am. And I said, I don't do this, and I don't do that. And she said, it won't work. You've got to uh, accept the Lord as your Savior. And so uh, later on, talking to her pastor, I agreed when I went up there that week in uh, December of 45, he, I agreed to accept the Lord, and I'm glad I did, because nothing works out the way I planned it, but his work, is, and she's been a great life to, to me. So you spoke truth to him at that point. Mm -hmm. um, what were you feeling? I mean, is it the you knew he had a need to do that, but uh, share a little bit about how, because obviously you you knew Jesus, and where did tell a little bit about your journey uh, of being saved? Uh, yes, ma'am. Yeah. <coughs> well, well, I'd heard the gospel all my life, and um, I, I I can remember. When I was probably 11, I was in the car with a, another family, and uh, I don't know if they were saved or not, but they said, are you a Christian? <laughs> and I said, yes. That just drove me crazy, because I knew 
I was not a Christian in the true sense. Yes, ma'am. And I thought, I lied. <laughs> but anyway, uh, my mother and I went to a Bible conference in Des Moines. Mm -hmm. And uh, as we were walking out, the speaker was standing there shaking hands. Everyone went by and he shook hands, said a few words, and go on. When I came up there, I mean, you know, he said, uh, I don't know the question exactly, but anyway, it was a spiritual, did I know the Lord? Mm -hmm. And I thought, as I, after I was saved, I thought, how did he know? Mm. You know, anyway, then he sat down and just showed me scripture. I'd been in a, another church before and you know where they asked to raise your hand and um, if you're not if you want to be saved mm -hmm. and uh, then someone came and talked to me and they kept saying uh, do you believe this yeah well of course I believed it I'd heard it all my life mm -hmm. and he said then you're saved and I said I'm not I mean there's no difference yes ma'am and uh, so anyway that's when I accepted the Lord and went back to, this was in May, just a little bit before school was out. And uh, when I went back to school, one of the teachers said, uh, what happened to you? You seem so much happier. I thought, well, I don't know. Because <laughs> I couldn't tell the difference. Right. But at that time, I mean, I just, I witnessed to him you were but, to Tom. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Fast forward. Uh, I witnessed to him, but it wasn't, I don't know, how, I was going to say it wasn't that I cared. Mm -hmm. I cared about him as, uh, so, but I wasn't enamored with him, you right. know. Okay. And that was just sharing the word. Okay. Because uh, I truly, truly believe that once we left, St. Olaf, we'd never see each other again. Guess what? <laughs> Guess what? You're, st you're, you're still together. Yeah. Wow. So when when you 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 surrendered your life to Christ, and and I've, you've been married 73 years now, and as also I remember as you shared your 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 lives together and your perspectives individually, your journey uh, has had its share of adversity. Has it not? Is that not uh, accurate? There's been all a lot through, of adversity. All through uh, our kids. Yeah. Um, Either through illness or accidents okay. with each one of our kids. How many children do y'all have? Four. 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 All right. So each one, each child, there was a moment of crisis, correct? Yeah. Well, well Tommy, the oldest one, fell out of a pickup and I picked him up. I didn't know whether he was dead or alive and at 6.30 one evening and at midnight she asked <coughs> the doctor what was his chances and he said 50-50 he'll live or not and he might be feeble-minded. So I had asked the question about uh, all four of your children. You had a, a moment of crisis and picked back up there with, with your, your oldest, Tommy. And Tommy 
recovered out of it and made a, he got a doctor's degree in education and Randy was, we took three years to find out he had cerebral cytosis and we, This is the second son, right? Yes. Randy? Yeah. Okay. yeah. It took and, us, we went to doctors for two years and, and they diagnosed him of whether of various things, but finally found out, it, and we were living in Waterloo, Iowa, and there'd never been a case in there. It was a spherocytosis, which is a uh, congenital uh, disease of the blood. Okay. And uh, so when uh, they finally, they took out his spleen and he was just a different child, they said, Otherwise, his life expectancy would have been 16 years. Wow. And, uh, but now, uh, his son has it, and so does his granddaughter. Okay. And then there was... Uh, That's the first two. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Then there was Terry. The third son, he was at Bible camp in Helen, Georgia, and we were living in Orlando, and... They called one Sunday morning and said he has sleeping sickness. Encephalitis. And he's in a, a coma. And we go rush him to Emory in Atlanta, but we don't think he's going to make it. And eight days later, he walked out of the hospital and 32 doctors were looking in on him because most of the patients didn't live if they had sleeping sickness. And we made arrangements to bury him mm -hmm. in Orlando. And Pam, our daughter, four years, a fourth child, she uh, was in uh, Minnesota, and Betty took the boys fishing, and they didn't catch any fish, and they came in early, and the gas was on in the propane, and she had a time waking her mother up, and Pam was all right, and they, she, she was in a crib up. and she was in another but, room, but if wow. we'd been out there, she wouldn't have. Hmm. But uh, later on, Pam was in a, a, a train, uh, in a car with an aunt, and a train hit him, hmm. and we saw where the Lord could have taken all four of our children but he let them live, and they are living today. And yeah, I met one just a few minutes ago when I was yeah, here. Yeah, you know, right. Uh, that's yeah. the encephalitis one. That's the encephalitis one. And okay. he's the one that uh, they told us said he would have to have a total recall of anything he had hmm. ever learned. And, and uh, they said he, he would be a spastic if he lived. Well, they know they with him they said he'd be a vegetable. Mm, okay, vegetable, because. and uh, 
he was the architect of the building and construction engineer for the architect on the RSA Tower in Montgomery. Really? Alabama. Wow. And he's uh, uh, built a school that was $90 million in Alabaster. Wow. He's and, doing all right, in yeah. other words. Yeah. But you know, they but, are, he's been getting to have some health problems, mm-hmm. and they said they'll. Can, no way can they know what it is, whether it was a result of that through the years, because people don't live that long right. when it's that serious. How did all four of these incidents, uh, with each each child, how did these moments challenge your faith? Well, I don't know about Tommy, but the first time was with Tommy. Tommy Jr. Tommy Jr. And it was like... Okay, I am going to depend on the Lord because there's nothing else. Okay. <laughs> because we had no other but the, except the Lord's will, and we uh, uh, we just said, the Lord, you can take them all if you want to. Or you can leave them here, but he chose to let us raise them, and it's been a job. <laughs> well, with with Terry, I I had the problem of not saying uh, your will. That I said, please take him, okay. because I could not. I knew he was saved. Mm-hmm. I just thought, oh, a vegetable all his life? Mm-hmm. There's just no... And I had the struggle of saying, Lord, your will, even if it's, if he lives. Mm-hmm. That was that struggle for that. And with Randy, it was like, oh, I don't want to wait anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. did, it, did it ever cause either of you to question the goodness of God at mm-hmm. all? It didn't me. Didn't you? Didn't both mm-hmm. of you? Wow. That's resilient faith and trust. Well, it's a fact. What else do you have? You're right. either going to have a fit. Yeah. Well, you, I want, go ahead. You have no other avenue except the Lord's will. Yes, sir. I remember one day I was having a conversation with God, and I was at a point of, of surrender, and here's what I said. I said, God, I'll trust you. What choice do I have? And immediately, I sensed God's Spirit speaking to mine, and He said, oh, you can fight me. And I was like, hmm, I do have a choice. I trust or fight. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so, now but, though, yeah, go ahead. The, uh, the sad thing, when we were at Emory <clears throat> with Terry, and uh, they uh, sent one of the women chaplains to me <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because I wasn't crying. Okay. And they kept saying, it's all right to cry. Well, I knew that, and I already had, but, you know, the Lord had just given me that peace, which <laughs> normally I did cry, but, you know, and but they 
it was like they were trying to break down my faith. Hmm. And uh, that to me was so upsetting. Now I know you write, and you write poetry. <laughs> and then I've learned, sitting at this table over pizza a few moments ago, hmm. that you also paint. Uh, do those things, uh, that creative expression, that creative outlet of, of writing and poetry and painting, does that feed you? Does that feed your heart? What, what does that do for you? Uh, I have knit all my life, and that, I, that's such a wonderful accomplishment. I did not start to paint until in my 70s. I never wanted to, and so that once I started it just I like doing it the writing <laughs> you write well by the way <laughs> thank you've you given me. I have uh, I published a book but I was uh, 85 I think okay published author first book 85 <laughs> and uh, that's awesome so, so you know uh, it was something I ne neither one was something I ever wanted to do but it kind of fell in my lap, and I did. Okay. What feeds your heart, Tommy? If she's if she's doing the artwork and she's writing, what do you like to do? Yeah, I don't. I like to work, uh, be outside, and go. But she's. They always looked at the opposite, and they. She's always free. I'm always. I look at the what could happen. Yep. Okay. And I got him a cup one time. Said I'd like to be an optimist, but I doubt it'll work out. <laughs> okay. So let's see. Wait a minute. Let me figure out which one of you is the glass half full and who's the glass half empty here. He he's the full. No. He's the empty. Yeah, he's the empty. The full. Yeah. Well, that, that's a that's y'all complement each other well. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Favorite verse of scripture. What's your favorite verse of scripture, Tommy? Yeah. Jesus loves me. This I know because he died for me. And I know that that he paid my price for that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Wow. Does it get any better than that? Uh, what's your favorite verse of scripture? I probably don't have a favorite, but the one that really uh, spoke to my heart when, um, uh, when Terry was in the hospital and he was unconscious and his his hands were like a cerebral palsy child, and he had a fever of 105, and you know, they said he wouldn't live. But anyway, uh, thou shalt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you. And I thought, where'd that verse come from? I hadn't remembered learning it, but it came when I needed it. Right, Isaiah 26, three. Right. Both of y'all respond to this statement through your years. 97 for Tommy, 93, mm -hmm. you're a youngin' for, uh, for Betty. God is faithful. Oh, absolutely. God is faithful. Yeah. 
like, uh, I'm ready to die, but God will take me when the right time comes. Yeah, he says, I'm just waiting to die. (laughs) Well, y'all have two more years before the 75th. Yeah. (laughs) You know, that's a, that's, what is is the, I know the 50th is the golden, so 75th. I don't know. The kids gave us a big 50th. They gave us a big 60th. And one of them said, we're not doing this until you're 75. And I thought, oh, we'll never make that. And I thought, we are almost. Almost. <laughs> and you're on the verge of becoming centurions. Yes. Yeah. That's pretty cool. <laughs> if you had to answer this question about Betty, what is the most amazing thing about Betty? Did she love me? What about you? What is the most amazing thing about Tom, Betty? Oh, there's so many things. One thing is that uh, his love and his devotion and always, always wants to care and do what what I want. Now, that doesn't mean he does it. (laughs) But, but, you know, because he has a mind of his own. And sometimes he's very stubborn. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll leave that one alone. <laughs> 73 years. Oh, that, that's, uh, that's something for all to aspire to. What A young couple getting married, or a couple right in the middle of, uh, of being married, say, been married 30 years or 20 years, marital advice for that kind of longevity of relationship. Well, one thing that I would say, and I had <laughs> my therapist ask me this the other day. She'd been married three years, although she's 60, and she said, I said, I still love and like him. And she said, oh, I love him, but I don't like him today. <laughs> and I think the thing that I found out is that <clears throat> sometimes, I mean, if, when you have it, hey, we have had disagreements. Mm-hmm. <laughs> When you have a disagreement, and I think, I'm not saying I'm sorry because I'm right. (laughs) He's wrong, I'm right. It just takes him a while to know that. And then then the Lord starts speaking, Mm -hmm. and uh, I thought, but you know, I can't say, okay, I can't say that I'm, I'm right because I have a section here. I can still say I'm sorry because there's something about in in this that I did or I said that I need to be sorry for. Mm-hmm. And I'm not responsible for what he does or anyone else does. I'm responsible for me and I can say I'm sorry. And uh, because so many times, oh, I'm not going to take the blame for that. <laughs> but. Uh, yes. Anyway, she was raised with a gold spoon in her mouth and marry a country guy like me. She changed me. She changed you. Yeah, and she. But his mother told him not to bring a Yankee girl home. (laughs) Well, Iowa. Here's the final question. If you had it to, to live all over again, 
what would you do differently? I wouldn't do different because the Lord saved me and she married me and the greatest gift I have is the Lord being my savior and second that she married me. Wow. What about you, Betty? It's hard to follow that, by the way. Uh, <laughs> yes, it is. I not really. Uh, hold, hold that thought. Hold that thought. I'm all, I'm all I can't. I can't think of anything because the way I wanted to go, I wouldn't have. It wouldn't have been right. Just like I was saying about going to Stuckey's, mm -hmm. I didn't want to go, and yet it, it's been wonderful the whole trip. So, I figure I don't know much. Don't know much. What's good for me? <laughs> <laughs> so you wouldn't change. Anything. I really wouldn't. Yeah. Well, it's been a joy sharing this table with you today. Sharing dessert. Finally getting over to see you. I, I'm amazed every time when y'all come to church, it's very, it's almost comical. They treat her like uh, the paparazzi gathers all around you and they flock on you, Betty, when you come in. And Mr. Tom is just kind of like shrugging his shoulders and he'll walk on around you and go ahead and take his place. It takes her a while to get to the pew, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. Thank y'all for coming on Redemption's Table. And I, uh, I'm going to say goodbye to those listening today. Those who are tuned in, thank you for participating in this podcast. Spent the afternoon with dear friends Tom and Betty Chestnut in their home in Hope Hall, Alabama. And until next Monday, and every Monday morning, we release a brand new podcast at Redemption's Table. When you hear Party of Redemption, your table is now available. We'll see you next week. Thank you both. I like that. Well, show him the, uh, the, uh, the 60th anniversary, the pictures of hanging on a wall. Oh, in there. <laughs> <laughs>